it is to have you along with us on this terror-filled journey. My name is Derek, and I'll be your guide through this little experience. But before we get started, a quick warning to keep all hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. And please, stay seated until the ride comes to a complete stop. And if you have any sort of emergency, just raise your hand, and someone will be back there to eliminate the issue shortly. And with all that said, let's get started. Hailing from the Empire State of New York, please join me in welcoming Alicia to the program. Hi, this is Alicia from upstate New York. I just wanted to share this experience I had when I was camping with my family. So we do a lot of camping in the summertime. And we went to this campsite, it's called Sned Acres, and it's located near the Finger Lakes. So when we got there, we pulled into our campsite and, you know, got everything ready and relaxed. And we looked behind us and there was a graveyard. And I thought that was really weird. It was a graveyard where dated back to the Revolutionary War. It was like literally right behind our campsite. So I decided that I wanted to look for some ghosts. (laughs) So I decided, you know, I'm going to film, see if I catch anything paranormal. It was literally a clear day. It was sunny, no wind, nothing at all. And as I was filming, I heard something like fall from a tree and a rock came flying down the path. And I was so scared. I ran out of there. Like, there was no one around our campsite that could have possibly thrown this rock forcefully down the path. And I'm still, like, shocked about that. I I do have it on video to back up my story. Like, there was no wind. I don't know how anyone could have possibly thrown that rock that fast down the path. I was so scared. Okay, I just wanted to share my story. Thank you. Thank you, Alicia. Now, of course, like I always say, If you have photos, video, or audio to back up your call, don't wait for me to ask for it. Just go ahead and send it in. And if you're listening out there, Alicia, please be sure to shoot your footage over to us. I'm sure, like me, the audience is dying to have a look. Now, as for creatures that can throw rocks, I'm not a biologist or a zoologist or anything like that. But I do know enough to confidently say there are only a handful of animals that can throw rocks or stones here on the planet Earth, at least with any sort of force. We humans obviously can, and a few of the higher primates can as well. Think chimpanzees, gorillas, or orangutans. Now you undoubtedly notice that two of those three species cannot be found in the wilds of New York State. So by process of elimination, seems like human might be the likely culprit here. But for those of us that enjoy using our imagination, there's said to be another creature that has that same capability. One that from time to time is said to roam the northern reaches of New York State, but one that's yet to be recognized by scientific authorities. One that still today remains so elusive that no real proof of its existence even exists. 
Bigfoot. Now, reports of rock slinging wood apes have continued to flow in for decades, if not centuries, and from all parts of not only North America, but the entire planet. In fact, a small region in Central Asia has claims to just such a creature, and its reputation for tossing things even influenced what people call it. And when U.S. soldiers began arriving on the scene in the 60s, the creature's mythology was pushed to the forefront. A theoretical creature we know today as the Vietnamese rock ape. Almost as soon as U.S. soldiers began to enter the Central Highlands in the 1960s, stories began to emerge of an ape-like creature in the forests. There are many stories, too many to recount here, but it is worth mentioning that it was the first time in history that large numbers of humans had entered these remote areas. Dongden Mountain lies some five miles from the coastal city of Da Nang, an important U.S. base during the Vietnam War. The mountain rises 2,900 feet above sea level and is jungle covered. In 1966, the 3rd Marines had erected a divisional outpost and landing zone atop the mountain, as well as a radio relay station. Incredibly, the Marines manning the station reported a series of attacks, not by Viet Cong guerrillas, but by unidentified animals. These animals threw rocks into the base compound, injuring some of the Marines. This happened on multiple occasions. The Marines christened them Rock Apes. And the name has stuck. The series of encounters were jokingly referred to as the Battle of Dongden, and the location renamed Monkey Mountain. Rock throwing has been observed in both wild and captive chimpanzees. Now that clip, courtesy of Mark Felton Productions, over at YouTube, and Mark has a nice little documentary that he's put together about these alleged, infamously aggressive apes. And the link is over in the show notes if you're interested. But look, we can all agree that Vietnam is a long way from New York State, so no one here is suggesting that the rock ape made its way over there. We're certainly not suggesting that it tossed a rock at Alicia. But I guess I am suggesting that if the Bigfoot creature is a real flesh and blood animal, it may too have the ability to throw objects. Just like its Asian cousin. But what if I told you there was another culprit out there, one that doesn't rely on a mythological beast, something a little more grounded in reality? In my digging on this entry, I uncovered a story that took place less than 60 miles from Snet Acres and the location of Alicia's experience. The hairy women of Klipnaki. First sighted on August 18, 1926, the hairy women of Klipnaki have remained an enduring local legend for nearly 100 years. According to reports, a married couple and their three young daughters lived a simple life in a rustic cabin outside of Klipnaki, a small hinterland community in upstate New York. Believing their children to be old enough to watch after themselves, the parents planned a trip to a nearby town. But before they left, they told their daughters that if anything bad were to happen while they were away, they needed to run to the woods and remain there until their parents arrived home. Well, that evening, on the way to their destination, the parents were killed in an automobile accident, and the legend claims that at the same time, the cabin's chimney caught fire, which forced the girls to flee their home into the nearby forest. Townspeople assumed that the entire family perished in the flames, but little to their knowledge, the young girls remained hidden in the forest, waiting for their parents who would never return. The legend states that the young women soon became feral creatures, letting their hair grow long and matted. Over time, residents of Klugnaki noticed clothes being stolen from their clotheslines, and hunters were perplexed by their missing lunches. Farmers caught glimpses of wild-eyed women, with tangled tresses slinking through their crops. But to this day, the hairy women of Klipnaki have never been caught, and they've never been tamed. Okay, fine. 
Explaining one mystery with another is never a good way to go about all this. But damn if it isn't fun. Now up until recently, the community of Klipnaki put on a festival each fall where they would hold the Hairy Women of Klipnaki Beauty Contest. I've included a clip in the show notes. I just love when a community embraces their local legends. I also enjoy the nightmare fuel that it produces. Anyhow, I doubt any of this does anything to solve your mystery, Alicia. But perhaps it's a good enough jumping off point. It certainly is a fun legend to uncover. So thank you again for calling in. Now folks, if you have a story you would like to share here on the show, a true story, simply call our hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-NIGHT. Or just simply record your story as a voice memo on your telephone and email it to monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. However you submit, just be sure to do it from a quiet, still place and keep those calls coming. Now folks, this next entry has nothing to do with hairy women or flying rocks, but it's still full of mystery. Please welcome Nathan, out of the state of Colorado, to the program. Hello, Monsters Among Us. I'm just calling in to talk about my UFO sightings I've seen. My name is Nathan. I am calling out of Durango, Colorado. I had called previously out of Edgewood, New Mexico, about a different story. But I just wanted to call in and talk about the three times I've seen the the UFO. I'll start with the first one, which was back when I was about five or six years old, 2000, 2001, around that time period. And I was outside stargazing with all of my cousins. We're just talking, you know, we are actually telling scary stories stuff when I decided to go inside and get some waters and basically get away from the stories because I was getting scared. So I was sitting in the front yard drinking a cup of water and they were all in the backyard underneath the trampoline and I saw a light that was in the sky that kept going in and out and in and out and in and out and it wasn't at the rate you would normally see a plane do it. It was kind of more at the like a faster rate and it was one light, and it was very bright in the sky. It looked like a star, like a very bright star. And I go to get my cousins to tell them what I saw. And as I, you know, go to turn around, it kind of zooms just away. I don't know how to describe it so much as it... Maybe it... I was a kid, so it could have just faded out abruptly, like very fast. But it looked like it kind of, like, shot into the distance. And so I was telling my cousins about it, and they're telling me it's a shooting star. But I've seen shooting stars before, and up to this point, they're usually shooting, in my experience. And I actually, I had seen a couple of asteroids previous to this. So I don't think it was an asteroid. I mean, it could have been a star still or, or something. I'm not entirely sure it was a, that one was a UFO, because that one was very far, like satellite far. And the second time I saw a UFO, I'm driving down the highway in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm heading west. This is the middle of summer. We are going to go shoot some guns out at this place called Nine Mile Hill. It's west of Albuquerque, probably about 20 minutes. It's in the boondocks, kind of in the middle of nowhere. People go out there to drive four-wheelers and dirt bikes, off-roading, shoot guns. I'm not surprised every time I go, we find a dead dog or you know, a dead animal of some sort. Maybe they didn't want to keep it, had to put it down, didn't want to pay for it or something. They take it out there and they kill it and they just dump it. And I mean, anything you can imagine gets dumped out there, all kinds of trash and appliances. So we're heading out there to go shoot guns. And we're on the highway and it's probably about 10 miles away from Nine Mile Hill when we see this really large, all black, with some type of texture to it. I don't know how to really explain that other than it kind of looked like a bunch of maybe blocks. Like if Legos were flat, but they had that three-dimensional feel that the Lego, when you make something Lego, like it almost had like that kind of shimmer to it. And it was all black, upside down pyramid. So imagine a pyramid, all black, 
and then flip it and have it floating in the sky about where a hot air balloon hovers. So not as high as the clouds, right under the cloud line and just hovering and rotating. And it was rotating, I would say, clockwise on its axis. So it was spinning. And it was all black. And it just sat there for the longest time. I mean, we're driving on the highway, and I see other people in their cars pointing at it and talking about it. And there's a lot of hot air balloons in New Mexico, especially around that time. So it's not uncommon to see them in the air, and that's what they do most of the time. They just kind of hover there, but they do have a path. They move, and you see the fire in them. And this thing was shiny, almost glass or metallic-looking, upside-down black pyramid just rotating in the sky. I couldn't keep my eyes on it because where we were going, it kind of turns the opposite direction of where the object was at. It was a very clear day, so, I mean, there was nothing obscuring it. It was visible. It could be seen from all around the highway. I mean, I know we weren't the only ones looking at it, but I lost sight of it. We, we went and did our thing. Afterwards, I went on to Google. I went on to all of my local news areas, nothing. No, nobody even talking about it. So I checked on it actually now before I called to see if there's anything since then, and I still can't find anything, which I find really weird because, I mean, New Mexico, we're, a lot of us usually report this kind of stuff when we see it, but I don't know. I just couldn't find anything on it. It was, it was crazy, but I wish I could remember the exact date, but it was just, it was summer, definitely. And this was when I was like 16, so probably... 2010, 2011, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So that was it for that one. So my last one was in Albuquerque as well. I was walking home one night after drinking with some friends. And I didn't really used to drink a lot, but I would have, you know, a couple beers or a shot or two. And then I, I decided to walk home. I didn't have a vehicle at the time, so that was my only option. I just didn't feel like crashing out at my buddy's house. So walked home. Nobody was at my house probably literally a block away from my house and I'm just kind of zoned out you know staring at the floor when I start seeing lights above me you know kind of like something shining down up on me so I look up and it's a cloudy night but it's also like a end of summer beginning of fall night in New Mexico so it's real clear weather's perfect I'm pretty sure it's a full moon that night and, and they were like fluorescent blue, white, and green lights. So I look up and there's a little hard to explain. It was, I guess the only way I could explain it would be a rope of lights, but not like a rope you would think of like for Christmas, more of like a thick, probably five or six inches, maybe more because it's pretty high up in diameter rope where the lights were emanating from within, but they were also segmented probably every five to eight feet there was a gap yeah and the lights were blue and white mostly with a little bit of green on certain ones and it was slithering through the clouds it wasn't flying straight it was literally moving like a snake would move and even more exaggerated than a snake to be honest if you've ever seen a sidewinder go like a sidewinder but that was going straight and it was just slithering through the clouds is the only way I could describe it. So it was gone pretty quick. I mean, it was only there for a couple of seconds and then I couldn't see it anymore and I never saw it pop out again. And it was, like I said, a pretty cloudy night, but that's all. I just wanted to share those three experiences with you. And you have a great day. Keep doing what you're doing. Looking forward to hearing more. Thanks, Nathan. Three UFO stories for the price of one. It's pretty nice. And in the interest of preserving a little time here, I'm only going to comment on one of Nathan's three stories. So the middle one, the Dark Pyramid. I too had the same idea that maybe Nathan was seeing and describing some sort of hot air balloon. Like he said, New Mexico is well known for its hot air balloon industry. Well, I decided to do a little research of my own. And to my surprise, I found that the upside-down pyramid shape is something that's seen often in ballooning. I even found a number of photographs that just might depict what Nathan saw that evening. Links to those can be found at monstersamonguspodcast.com and by clicking on the show notes tab. Of course, Nathan claims he's familiar with the ballooning hobby. So perhaps the similarities are simply surface-based 
and there were additional details. For example, the panels that he described that could further eliminate the possibility that a balloon was indeed the object. That's all entirely possible. But I guess, for what it's worth, Occam's razor suggests otherwise. That said, all three of these accounts were pretty incredible. And we can't thank you enough, Nathan, for submitting them. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you stop and think about it, how much time do you spend on yourself versus other people in a given week? Sometimes we get caught up in other people's needs, and we don't save time for ourselves. Now, I'm guilty of getting caught up in work or projects and leaving little time for myself sometimes. And as a result, burnout sets in. But I found that therapy is a great way to ensure that I make time for myself, to express and reflect on my thoughts and emotions. Because let's face it, if we don't care for our mental health, we can't properly care for the people around us. So remember to prioritize yourself first. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and affordable. And if for some reason you aren't vibing with the therapist you're matched with, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash monsters among us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsor supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to those sounds in the attic. Now then, next up we head south to Texas where Bear has a story waiting. Hey, Derek, love the podcast. This is Bear up in North Texas. Been having an issue in the woods behind my house. Uh, A couple years ago, my wife, nephew, and my youngest daughter, who's at the time of six, sitting at the table. It was kind of a spring, cool night, so we had the windows open. wasn't very humid. I'd gone to bed and they were still up sitting around the table just hanging out and they heard a a screech type cackle coming from the woods of course it panicked and they came in woke me up and said they heard something out there so you know i told them it was maybe a barn owl something like that you know start talking to about different noises animals make in the woods that sound absolutely horrific so i started playing them different sounds off of youtube of cat, you know, uh, mountain lions, bobcats, owls, different birds, things like that, that it could be. And, you know, they're like, no, that wasn't it. This was, eh. and my wife is not the type of person that talks about, believes, thinks about ghosts at all. She's been watching scary movies since she was two years old. You know, she doesn't get scared. But everything I played was just, you know, they kept saying, no, that's not it. That's not it no way so i started joking around and of a native american background you know which i know is something not to joke about but i mentioned skinwalkers and yeah they kind of laughed it off so i went on and i started trying to find incredible videos on youtube that had skinwalker type noises the first one i came to was a real short clip and as soon as it got to the part where whatever they recorded made that noise. They turned pale white and eyes, I mean, as, as big as baseballs. I mean, it absolutely terrified them, which of course sent chills you know, up and down my body. Well, now come, here we are two years after that incident. Hadn't really seen anything weird. You know, I spent a lot of time out in the woods. Hadn't seen anything. We haven't heard anything. But within the past couple of weeks, all of a sudden, they're starting to hear drums, like someone banging on drums, which we don't have neighbors, and what sounds like kind of hooping and hollering out in the woods. I always go out in the woods, and I went out the next morning after they told me what they've been hearing. There's no you know, homeless shelters out there, nothing going on. I mean, it's just no signs of humans out there in that strip of woods. and 
you know, they just keep hearing weird noises out there. I have no idea what the heck is going on. I haven't looked into the background of the area, but it's definitely freaking everybody out. Just wanted to share and see if anyone else in the kind of Fort Worth area has had any issues similar to this. Thanks, buddy. Keep up the good work. Y'all take care. Thank you, Bear. Now let's begin by addressing the skinwalker in the room. Just a few weeks back, I cast doubt on a particular call being skinwalker-related due to the location in which it occurred. I believe that call originated out of the state of Florida, and we all know that this skinwalker legend originates from the desert southwest, so I suggested that the distance might be too far for a comparison. Well, it turns out a lot of you were upset by that. Many of you claim that a skinwalker could easily drive a car from New Mexico to Florida, just the same as anyone else. And while they're technically correct, it still feels like a big old stretch. An even bigger stretch than a shape-shifting shaman. So with all that in mind, let's table the skinwalker conversation for now and focus on another part that has me completely fascinated. The Native American drumming. Now I was dying to know what something like that would actually sound like. So I did some digging online and I actually found an EVP that seemingly captured a similar phenomena. So let's give it a listen. The following was captured by a KSAT ABC News 12 film crew while on location at the reportedly haunted Comanche Lookout Park in San Antonio, Texas. Per usual, played once in full, then repeated twice, with a few digital enhancements. And later in the same area, our audio recorders picked up the sound of drum beats. Now I've linked to the entire news story in the show notes, but I'll be honest, the piece is pretty insensitive, considering it's covering a massacre that took place at Comanche Lookout, so view it at your own risk. And as for the drumming phenomena, we're going to dive a little deeper into all that over in the beyond portion of the episode, so stick around to the end of tonight's show for more details on that. Until then... Thanks again, Bear. Now, if you're looking for ways to help support the program, might I suggest a visit to our merchandise shop found behind the shop tab at monstersamonguspodcast.com. We have amazing designs from very talented paranormal artists, such as Brett Manning, Julian Meyer at Cryptid Zoo, Jordan Hirschberger, Erie Eric, Easton Hawk, Jamie Murray, Greg Johnson, Mark at Hog Island Press, Liz Pavlovic, Chetty Winks, and Maximus Prime Art. I sure hope I didn't miss anyone. And there you can find products designed by these artists, such as t-shirts, hats, totes, bins, patches, posters, stickers, decals, and a whole lot more. And the best part here is, every penny spent goes to help the show grow. So again, that's monstersamonguspodcast.com and click the shop tab. And don't forget, Patreon members, you can access 10% off with your secret code. Just listen to any Beyond episode for further details on that. Okay. Well, this next entry is a ghostly entry from the Great Lakes State. Hi there, Derek. My name's Joe. I now live in Michigan, but uh, back in the day I lived in San Jacinto, California, Probably not too far from where you're at. Uh, the house that I lived in, I won't give the address or anything, because I'm sure somebody lives there now. I'm always certain that there was some sort of thing going on there, uh, paranormal or otherwise. For a good while, we kept hearing knocks on the walls, and eventually I, I found out, debunked, if you will, that it was uh, just a piping hitting against the wall. Eventually... There were several things that happened here at this house, but one in particular I want to tell you about is the attic. Huh, go figure. 
there wasn't any typical stairway or anything, but there was a little hatch that you could open up and you could get into there, but you would have to have like your own ladder stairs, you know, to bring up to uh, get up there because none came down with it. But before I knew that, I opened it and uh, I looked up and it was just pitch black in there, you know, which surprised me that it would be completely pitch black just because it was such a bright day outside and while the sun can't really get through the roof, there's these little vents, I suppose you could say, on the side. And, uh, you know, birds, bats, and everything can get in there. And, uh, you know, if it's big enough for them, I figured at least some of the light would get in and make it not completely pitch black. So, you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, I went down, I got a flashlight, I brought something, I could stand up and try to get up there because I wanted to look around. I, you know, I figured I've been living in that house for, I don't know, three, four years at that time. And I really just wanted to explore somewhere I hadn't been in there. So uh, I went and brought a tall step stool. Figured I could pull myself up because I was pretty in shape then. But I opened the hatch and I turned on the flashlight, which it wasn't a very powerful flashlight, mind you, but I turned it on. I creaked it open and... Uh, they couldn't see too much, so I brought it open again, and there was a bunch of dust that got kicked up. Figured nobody had been up there for a good while, but what happened was the dust, there was a section that came at me, but it framed something of a, a face, and just the way that it came at me, it was an instantaneous fight-or-flight moment, and I definitely chose flight. I slammed that hatch closed, I fell down and just kind of stared at the hatch, and I had been pretty uncomfortable living there ever since then. Like I said, a couple other things happened, but it was so quick, but I plan on calling back, but thanks, hope to hear more stuff. Bye-bye. Thanks, Joe. There's a small crawl space here in my cabin that I've never gone into. Mostly because I don't really fit through the access hall. But given that the place was built in 1933, who knows what treasures could be in there. One of these days I'll squeeze myself in there and find out. And I imagine that sort of space exists in a lot of people's homes. I also imagine most occupants don't even realize that that vacant space exists. You would have to have a knowledge of how homes were constructed to find mine. And for those that do know about it, be careful poking around up there. If you don't believe me, at least take Joe's word for it. And thanks again, Joe, for calling in. Now, y'all, this next entry comes to us from Kentucky. The kind of place this sort of thing is expected, I suppose. Crystal, the mic is yours. Hi, Derek. My name is Crystal. I've called in before for the Sasquatch call. This one is more of the demon variety. It happened in 2004. I was pregnant with my daughter, so I know exactly when it was. And we had had a friend pass away while I was pregnant with my daughter. So this would have been about in May. And we had went to a friend's house out there. I was young. Um, He was 19. And we had a celebration of life out there where a bunch of his friends gathered together. Well, this is a road out in the middle of nowhere. And there's two gravel roads or two roads, and they are connected by a gravel road. You can get to either road by driving that gravel road. And there's an old worn-down house that's been there. I don't know that anyone's lived in it for at least the last 30, 40 years. I don't think anyone's lived in it while I've been alive, and I'm almost 40. And a guy from the party had went down there with his girlfriend, and I guess they were exploring. I'm not sure. Everybody was kind of drinking and partying, so... Lord knows what they were doing. But when we went to go look for him, we pulled in that driveway, and immediately I got an eerie feeling. And I was raised in a Pentecostal church for a lot of years, so I've seen what we call possessions. Um, A lot of people don't believe in them. I've seen an exorcism. 
we pulled in there and he came flying out the door before we could do anything and was white, white as a sheet and couldn't talk, hairs in the back of his neck standing up or back of my neck stood up. And like I said, he couldn't talk, he was stuttering, he just walked, he walked right past his car, didn't stop at his car, him and the girl he was with just went on the road and was gone. Like they ran to the house that we came from. So us being, you know, younger and very stupidly with me being pregnant, decided to go into the house to see what was going on. And we got inside the door of the house, and it was just the feeling of, I don't know, dread almost. It wasn't like the feeling of being scared. It was a just evil feeling. You could, And it's pitch dark in there because at this time it's turning evening. And out of the back of the room, this is just a closed-in room, and you can see the door into the next room, and this is an empty, dusty house. So you could see all the walls. It wasn't completely dark outside yet, so, you know, there was light in there, but you could see something black over in the corner, and it what didn't necessarily have a figure. It was more just kind of there. I don't know how to explain it, but it was kind of just there. And out of that corner, it was the low, most deep, belly, evil growl that I have ever heard in my life. I don't know how to explain it. It was like it came from deep down underground and just vibrated up i'm not sure but it was enough to absolutely terrify us one of the guys that was with us was highly intoxicated it sobered him completely up uh we ran out of there we did not look back i've thought a couple times about going back out there but i do know that um possession is very real and i would rather not be susceptible to that or not have anyone with me that would be susceptible to that so um, i've never been back but that's my story there's definitely something evil in that house i love your podcast like i said i've recently just started listening to them this is my favorite i've listened to many and always come back to this one so i'm excited to get on up into the further seasons thank you and have a good night thank you crystal It's to be expected because this wouldn't be the first demon to call the state of Kentucky home. Our researcher Delaney hails from the Bluegrass State, and she introduced me to a local poltergeist that just might be on par with what Crystal experienced. They call it the Demon of Olive Hill. And on November 15th of 1968, John and Ora Callahan of Olive Hill, Kentucky, experienced what would be the first of many violent poltergeist-related outbursts. The married couple were sitting quietly in their home when suddenly, the glass in their picture frames hanging on the wall began to shatter. One of the first items to break was a painted portrait of Jesus. The same day, a bottle of bath oil flew from the shelf and exploded against the wall. Glass lamps burst into millions of small pieces. The activity grew so intense that the Callahans quickly fled their home and moved to a new location. But the activity continued. At their new place of residence, tables overturned, heavy wooden chests tipped on their sides. The refrigerator moved, cups flew across the room, and kitchen drawers emptied themselves of cutlery. The first night at their new home was made worse by the pale apparition of Ora Callahan's brother, who had died nearly 13 years before. The Callahans were devout Jehovah's Witnesses and believed the haunting to be caused by demonic entities and wicked spirits. No amount of prayer, church counsel, or biblical instruction proved useful. Two psychical researchers from Duke University, W.C. Roll and John Stomp, investigated the poltergeist activity, and after studying the case closely and witnessing paranormal activity of their own, concluded that the events were not the result of faulty wiring or fraud. Still convinced of demonic interference, the Callahans attempted to perform an exorcism on their grandson, who was believed to be one of the main culprits. But the ritual failed. In total, the poltergeist activity followed the Callahans to five different homes, with more than 150 documented events. After moving once more to a new home in Ohio, the phenomena stopped entirely and no further reports were made. So something is seemingly going on in Kentucky. So thanks again, Crystal, for the entry and the opportunity to learn a new legend. 
Now, Sarah and I cook at home a lot, and one of the biggest obstacles we encounter is figuring out what to make. The same meal rotation gets boring, but tonight's sponsor, Green Chef, helps us keep dinner interesting with tons of variety and customization options for their meal kits. We can now choose from 50 plus weekly menu and market items with options to mix and match meals from different dietary preferences in the same box. Another thing we struggle with is finding quick but healthy lunch options. Now Green Chef offers 10 minute lunches with nutritious recipes, which helps so much with our busy lifestyle and keeps us from going out to lunch too often. We also love that Green Chef helps reduce food waste by up to 23% versus grocery shopping and they offset 100% of their delivery emissions, as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. Now, Green Chef is offering Monsters Among Us listeners an awesome deal. Go to greenchef.com forward slash monstersamongus60 and use code monstersamongus60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com forward slash monstersamongus60 with code monstersamongus60 for 60% off plus free shipping. Now, Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. So what are you waiting for? As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to that strange light over the ridge. So for some reason, I feel that this next one is really going to resonate with a lot of you. You'll see what I mean. Matt from Massachusetts. Welcome to the program. This is Matt from Plymouth, Massachusetts. This one's a little funky because there's two ways to look at it, potentially, and both ways I look at it are pretty much equally as creepy. You know, like most people, always been a lover of the paranormal and the uh, unknown. But I've never really had too many experiences with it. I've had about two, and this one, I'm still freaked out by it. Still can't really explain it. So... I was about 13 years old. I'm 20 years old now. I was driving home with my mom. I was in the passenger seat. We were driving through downtown Plymouth. We had just dropped off my brother at the high school for um, football practice. And we're driving through the downtown. There's this burger bar. And across the street from the burger bar, there's Tedeschi on this corner. And, you know, Plymouth's usually busy during the day. It was about around, like, 3. It was not a crappy day out, but it wasn't wicked nice, you know. So... I'm looking to the left on the sidewalk in front of the Tedeschi's and there's this old lady in a gown, old looking gown, old looking lady, and I didn't really think much of it. But like we get closer and the closer we get to her, I notice she's like locked on to me. Her eyes are just, ever since we round the corner towards the Tedeschi, I just can see her staring at me and we get closer and closer. And as we get closer, I look at her and I notice that her eyes are just black pitch black like there's nothing I, I don't know whether there was no eyeballs in her socket or she had fully blacked out eyes or something but I don't know regardless there was two black holes where her eyes should have been and as we drive by she just keeps staring at me keeps staring at me and like we drive past her and I'm like now I'm turned around look, looking at her and she's still looking at me and I just feel like this is such a freaky scenario because Let's say whatever, whatever apparatus or demonic presence is in this lady. Why the f*** is staring at me this way? Why is it so locked on and intrigued to me? But if this is just a lady with no eyes or whatever, let's say blacked out, inked out eyes, like still, why is she staring at me? How does she sense my presence? How does she know I'm there? Like, it's not like my mother's car was making a funny noise where she would have been looking at us like, huh, what's going on? So uh, I immediately, when I saw this, I was like shocked. I broke down. I started crying. I just kept saying like, mom, what the hell? Like, what the F? What the F? And she was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And like, I was like explaining it to her. And I'm like, no, like I, I, well, before I even explained it, I was like, I don't want to explain it. Like, you're not going to believe me. And sure enough, I explained it and started laughing. And I was just like, that was my one experience where I truthfully thought I saw something out of the normal. And yeah, I just, I'll, I'll remember it till I die. Really. That was just wacky really unsettling well that's something you don't see every day thanks Matt an eyeless woman that still somehow made eye contact with a witness I can't say that's something I've ever heard of before 
but as most of you know, I once lived in the heart of Los Angeles. I did my dime, a decade living and working there before I escaped up here to the mountains. And in my time down there, I saw all sorts of strange individuals along the roadside. But I can confidently say I never saw that. What do you think, listeners? An injured woman? Some sort of practical effect? Or simply a fogged childhood memory? Or perhaps something completely off the wall? Whatever it is, let me know what you think. And thank you again, Matt, for sharing the entry. Now before I press play on this next one, a quick warning. The following entry briefly discusses domestic violence and murder, though most of the gory details have been left out. Consider that your warning. Now, out of the land of enchantment, please join me in welcoming Michelle to the program. Hello, my name is Michelle. I am from Roswell, New Mexico, the famous alien town. So it was a story my mom had. So she came with my aunt. They came from Mexico a long time ago. My mom was like 15 years old. And they lived in this house. And at first, it was very suspicious because this house that they had seen, it was very cheap. And for being a kind of a big house with a lot of land, you know, they were migrants. So, like, this is a steal. And to us, in a normal situation, like a house that cheap, there must be something wrong with it, right? But they didn't think anything of it. And they bought the house and it was great. So my mom lived with them for a while. And she started noticing a couple things. And my mom's been a very spiritual person since she was young. So, like, the stove would be on sometimes. The brooms would, like, fall. The lights would turn off, you know, just noises. And my mom just said, like, things like that happened. And my aunt just refused to believe any of that was happening. Like, she would see it, but she's like, it's nothing. So my mom had told me that one day she wasn't working. And some neighbors told her this rumor. Honestly, I'm going to say this now. I don't know if this is true or not. I tried looking into it, but I can't even see a point of how to research this, if this is true or not. But the neighbors had told her that this house belonged to two doctors, a woman and a man. They didn't have any kids or anything. They just lived in the house. And the woman, was she was cheating on him. So he found out and killed her in the house, and he decapitated her. And it's sad that he put her head in this pillar thing. It's like a rock thing, and it has a little hole in the middle. And that it took the police officers quite a time to find the head, and they found it in there. And that little pillar thing is still there to this day. And my mom was just spooked, like, oh, all of these things are happening because of this. And so, anyways, my mom ventured out onto the land after that. And there was this little, like, barn thing with all kinds of things left behind. And in one of those, she had found a memory book with the pictures of this family. And my aunt burned it because, again, she refused to believe there's something going on. And to this day, she refuses. Even though she's brought priests in and everything, she just says there's nothing wrong with this house. So the, the reason I'm sharing this story is because it's scary, right? But I went into the house. I slept over, I think, maybe twice. And each time, I felt terrified of that house. My mom did tell me that story after those times. But I would feel, like, uneasy, like like something evil. Like when you watch, like, a scary movie and you, you know this person is terrible, that's the same feeling I got. Like, there's something terrible going on here. And I always say that house is evil. Like, you know, if the story is true, that man is in that house or the woman is just in torment or something. Because I've gone into the house a couple times now and I just feel like I can't. It's so scary in that house. I've heard my my name be called when no one is there. And yeah, it's truly, it's truly terrifying. So that is my story. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. 
Now Delaney and I spent a considerable amount of time trying to locate a news story about this particular murder, but neither of us were able to find anything that suggested it actually took place. I'm hoping that we may have a few listeners in that area that have access to local files. Perhaps something can be located that way. If anything does turn up, I'll be sure to revisit this one later on. But until then, thank you again, Michelle, for sharing that entry. Well, would you look at the time? We're down to our final entry on the evening. And boy, do I have a doozy for you. The following was sent in by an anonymous caller all the way up in the state of Washington. Hello, Derek. I'm calling from central Washington state. I'm going to submit this one anonymously. This is the first time I've ever called into a show like this, though I've had a few experiences in my lifetime. And this one in particular stands out to me and has kind of always left me scratching my head as to what I saw. So I figured yours would be a good show to see if any of your other callers might have seen anything like this. This happened uh, on Thursday, July 28th of 2016. It was 6.30 to 7 o'clock in the morning, and I do a lot of outdoor activities, mostly hiking, but one of the things I like to do is shoot from time to time, and sometimes I go up on my own just for target shooting, not hunting. I even do a little hand loading on the side and a couple different pistol calibers, and on this morning I was up just kind of testing some loads super early. So I went up into a place north of our town. It's a canyon that I won't name, but there's a shooting spot up there that's relatively common. I just arrived. I was getting ready to set my gear up and my chronograph and all that sort of stuff, my targets. And I had stepped out of my car and then turned and was walking towards the rear of my car, so sort of in the northerly direction. And something flew past me from the south to the north that, if I had to describe the sound of it, it was similar to a hummingbird, but quieter. And so as I heard that, I, I looked up to see what it was and my initial instinct was that it was an insect. It was uh, rusty, reddish, and peach, kind of rusty peach color in different tones, but it was huge. It was just the abdomen of this thing was over six inches. Total length was probably somewhere in the area of 10 plus inches, which so it was very striking to see this fly right past me. The abdomen must have been somewhere in the area of half an inch to three quarters of an inch wide. I mean, it was big. But I'm still thinking it's an insect of some kind. The wings were weird. They were situated on the upper third of the body, like a dragonfly, but with the wings further up. And the really striking thing about it was it was flying completely vertical, so completely upright. Not like a, an airplane or some other sort of insect you'd see flying with its abdomen parallel to the ground. Its abdomen was completely perpendicular, and during the flight that I watched, it remained in that position. It hovered around and darted kind of like a hummingbird, which was really strange, and I, I probably saw it for maybe about 10 seconds overall. Here's the really weird part, and I, I don't even know how to say this or place it in my head, but whereas this thing struck me as an insect to begin with, its abdomen, at first I thought the abdomen was split in half. And I was trying to figure out, like, what kind of insect I was looking at. But I, I, I kid you not, I, I, I think that those were legs. I should back up and say I have zero interest in anything that's, like, fairy-related. I've always thought, you know, Sasquatch was interesting or uh, things like that. And I've had some sightings of unidentified flying objects in the past, which I'll probably call in in the future and tell you about. But this thing... If you were to draw a fairy that had an insect appearance, it would look like this. But it freaked me out. So I saw it for maybe, you know, 10 seconds total. It darted to the left, hovered there for a little while to the right. It might have been eight yards away, seven yards away, somewhere in that neighborhood. And it was facing me as it was moving. I didn't have my glasses on at the time. And my vision's good, but not great. So I couldn't see any facial features at that distance. And as it darted a couple times, it just continued to fly off to the north, went behind some trees, some conifer trees, and I lost sight of it. My brain kept telling me that this thing was an insect, but I, I truly in my heart don't believe that it was. I think it was something else. 
I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention that in the same area the previous year, same exact shooting spot there, I had heard a series of wood knocks coming from over the ridge line, kind of back in the general south direction. So now that I think of it, kind of a similar direction to the direction that this thing came from. And there's also, I think this might be relevant, there's a set of high tension power lines that run not too far from there. Uh, maybe as the crow flies, 300 yards, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little less. Anyway, thank you for your uh, for your time. I hope this makes it on your show and really, really uh, love your program and, and some programs like it because I think they, they give a lot of us some, not necessarily answers, but you know they give us some insight into what other people are experiencing that we might not have otherwise. So take care. Thank you, caller. I'm starting to get the impression that target shooting somehow attracts supernatural activity. See Nathan's entry from earlier in the show for an additional example. And we all know that fairies don't exist, right? Well, as we covered in the recent Mirror Men episode, many cultures swear that these puny people are as real as you or me. And who am I to argue? I've never been to any of the places these things are said to exist. Unless, of course, the creature in our caller's submission is real. In that case, I've spent some time in Washington State. But not once have I ever taken that place for fairy country. Now, another place that I never took as a fae hotspot is Central America. Mexico, to be exact but that's exactly what has taken place over the last decade or so. Locals in certain parts of the country have reported almost exactly what our caller just reported. A vertical flying, insect-like humanoid creature. Small, 10 to 12 inches. And in the early 2000s, believe it or not, someone actually found one of these things. Now it's claimed that a 13-year-old boy found a near-mummified specimen along the roadside somewhere in rural Mexico. And if you follow the paranormal on any sort of social media, you've likely seen images of that creature. A 9 or 10 inch tall, elfish looking thing with wings. Brown, dry, and rotted to the point that it's almost unrecognizable. Now I've linked to photographs in the show notes if you somehow don't know what I'm talking about. But this specimen made its rounds and eventually ended up with famed UFO researcher and journalist Jaime Musa. After holding on to the Mexican ferry, as it was eventually known, for five years, Jaime finally found some folks that were willing to take a look at the creature. Now I've linked to a YouTube documentary that I found pretty interesting. that details a thorough analysis of the specimen. And eventually... Through those people, we got answers. Now, this creature was found in Mexico back in 2011, and since then, it's been all over the internet and in television, and it's been known as the Mexican fairy. So what is that? And they, they told me that's the fairy, and these creatures are here now. This object has been all over the internet and television. It's something that no one has seen before, but is it real? People have referred to it as a Mexican fairy. The host of the TV series The Watchers, L.A. Marzulli, contacted Paul Collins, who is an expert in zoology at the Santa Barbara Museum of Natural History. He wanted Collins to determine if this creature was real or fake. Marzulli sent pictures and radiographs, and right away, Collins had the answer. The fairy-like creature was originally found back in 2011 before it was brought to Marzulli. He got it from a man in uh, Mexico uh, who had purchased it from an individual who's uh, indicated they found it on the side of the road. Um, and he paid a lot of money for it, uh, this man, $10,000. And after all that time, curiosity and a little bit of fear. It's a fraud, yeah. The creator of this critter glued together parts of two individual bats. As you, as you look at the radiograph on this specimen, it has a very uh, primate uh, or human, humanoid-like head. But when you begin to look at it carefully, uh, the lower jaw and the dentition in here all look to be bat. And reconstructed it as a fairy. 
So they took the outer part of two, two wings and then attached them onto the back of this carcass. Ooh, 10K for a fake fairy. I could have done it for half of that. Now that clip courtesy of KEYT, ABC News 3 out of Santa Barbara. And what a bummer. I will admit, at first glance, it did look real. Even the x-ray looked authentic. At first glance. But none of this is to say that what our caller experienced couldn't be the real thing. Whatever that might be. But I do hope that, like the Mexican fairy, we do eventually get to the bottom of this miniature mystery. And that's going to do it for this episode. As always, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And be sure to follow us over at social media. And while you're at it, give us a like and follow at YouTube as well. And if you don't mind, and this would be a huge help to us, please leave us a rate and review wherever that sort of thing is possible. And finally, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.ag Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Keep it spooky out there. I'll catch you all next week. Have a good night. Tonight's secret entry has me a bit perplexed. Maybe one of you out there can tell me what Eric in Virginia experienced. Hello, Derek. My name is Eric. I'm calling from Arlington, Virginia. I'm originally from Rochester, New York. I've been listening to your podcast for about a month or so now. Uh, kind of tripped upon it, down a rabbit hole on the internet, and have fallen in love with it and love it. Good job. And uh, thought I'd call in with some things that have happened to me throughout my life. To get things started, when I was younger, second or third grade, I think both second and third grade, I was involved in a study at the U of R, quote-unquote study. Never really knew what the study was, but I would go a couple days a week and you know, hook me up to an EEG and do Rorschach's tests and, you know, and fit this shape into that hole as fast as you can. Here's some cards with some shapes on them and pick, you know, what shapes are under the card and guess and just have fun and they would, you know things in that, that nature. Uh, my parents never told me what the reasoning for the tests were or study. They have both passed away in 2000 and none of my five siblings really knew why I went as well. So always been a bit obsessed with anything paranormal, strange, anything kind of UFO and everything else. So the story I'm going to share with you today is uh, actually regarding my daughter, Izzy. When my wife and I lived in a rental house in Alexandria, Virginia, our three-year-old at the time, daughter, would wake up in the middle of the night and we'd hear her laughing and talking and sometimes crying, but uh, just like any normal, you know, child, baby would do. But there was one night in particular that she was very exuberant, was laughing and seemed like she was carrying on a conversation. And um, we went in and asked her, you know, you need to go to sleep. And she says, well, I can't. And we asked her why. And she said, well, because the shadow people come and visit me and they tickle me and play with me at night. And, of course, we were freaked out. We asked her, the shadow people? And she's like, yeah, you know, the shadow people. 
uh, they come and visit me at nighttime. Uh, we thought this was very strange, of course, and, you know, got a camera installed in the room. Never did find anything, you know, on video. But we did hear things throughout that house over a number of years. We lived there, strange things. Never seemed anything harmful or mean or anything of that nature. But, uh, you know, when your daughter says, you know, the shadow people tickle me, you know, and uh, she was quite adamant about it and we believed her. And, you know, so that's just one of the things that have happened, you know, throughout our stay in that house. There's a bunch of other things that I'll probably call in and, and let you know, but I thought this one was quite interesting, you know, for my first time calling and leaving. A, but yes, my daughter and her visits of the shadow people. Thanks for what you do. It's a great podcast, and uh, I hope to call back soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Eric. Well, folks, how about it? Anyone have any idea what these tests were that... Eric was subjected to. Sounds like a stunt Fankman would pull if you ask me. Anyhow, if you know, give us a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT or shoot us an email at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Fill us in because, like Eric, I'm dying to know. Whoa, did you feel that? We just crossed over into the beyond our little after show for supporters over at Patreon now each week we explore a few more calls in a more laid back fashion we answer some questions we have a guest from time to time but overall we keep it spooky for an additional 25 to 35 minutes so jump on over to patreon.com and search for old monsters among us join that $5 level and hear amazing calls like this one from James in Texas. Hey Derek, this is James. I want to tell you about another little experience I had when I was really young, and it was what I'm considering a partial possession or, you know, something trying to possess me. It was not too long after I started to feel evil coming in and out of my life from some, you know, religious practices that I went through. Anyway, this one, I was really young. I was probably about 13. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.